so now we're on to our winners and spinners. Timo, your winner? It's a, it's a strange time in the world. Sebastian Vettel. When he was at Red Bull, he was not my favourite person in the world, but ever a bit like... I don't know, actually, no, it's just Sebastian Vettel was the example I was going to use of Sebastian Vettel's there, so that doesn't work at all. But as soon as he left for a ball, I thought, you know what, I don't mind this guy so much now. Lewis Hamilton actually move, and Vettel to Ferrari, I thought, okay, this could be interesting. And he's he's now kind of wormed away into everyone's hearts that he wasn't in before if he, if he wasn't already there. And he loves Suzuka, he loves the fans. There was a great video on F1 socials of him getting a present from a Japanese fan. I don't know if, yeah, if you two saw that. But is that the one of him getting a trophy? And he no, goes, oh, it's the only trophy I'm getting this year or something. No, but that was also great. It was He got given this box of toy cars that this Japanese man had made himself, like little Hot Wheels. And it was in one of these kind of um, work boxes where there was, like they all had their little compartment, but there was some spare random and Vettel jokingly said to the fan, like, I'm going to have to have some more kids then, am I? It's like, yeah, you could do that. I'll have to ask my wife about that first. <laughs> um, but again, just he loves the place and even said that if anyone ever wants uh, me to come back for a one-off appearance, I'll do it here in Suzuka. I'll happily do that. And despite spinning off track in the first lap of the first corner, he then did absolutely brilliant on the strategy when the race finally got underway again and busted up into, what was it, sixth place in the end? And, yeah, and was able to fend off Alonso, who was on an absolute charge um, with another brilliant strategy. And yeah, so Sebastian Vettel is, is my main highlight there. But Alonso as well, first time in the points since Japan back in 2013, <laughs> when he came fourth there with Ferrari. As we said before, Guan Yu Zhou, fastest lap of the race. Not that it counts for any points, but... That's also just shows you how mental the conditions were. And because this is the only bit of good overtaking we got to see outside of the main two battles on screen, Russell for his smooth, smooth overtake through the S's, it showed that, like you were saying, just you can overtake here if you are really ballsy with it. And it was also places that, okay, we said you could overtake. We didn't mean these places, but that is mighty cool. Yeah, it's the Alice Powell going under the grandstands overtake from Singapore last weekend. And it is it was an absolute corker of an overtake. And he pulled it off twice. And you're thinking It just looked so easy, like why is no one else doing it there? Yeah, it, it says that it says a lot that these cars can race and around Suzuka they can race. And had this been a dry race, it would have been absolute or a drying race, it would have been absolutely fantastic. Because you then have cars on split strategies and it would have been more bonkers than it was but in a good way but yeah definitely I can see why you've given even this even more off. impressive with, with Vettel though because Aston Martin as we know is not the best team at the moment and the car is I'm glad that it was just a procedural error for them in the cost game because if they had overspent Jesus Christ it wouldn't have helped them would it yeah what did they spend it on but yes um, they spent it on catering <laughs> probably but that is not a P6 car and he achieving P6 with it is something quite special indeed Ellie May your winner I've gone for Max Verstappen. Pretty Why? dominant. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure. In those conditions, to be a min- half a minute ahead of your teammate or the next... We didn't see him for most of the race coverage. He, he just and driven just off. just because of the conditions. <laughs> Not because he'd just driven off, just gone off and done his own thing, half a minute away from anyone else on circuit. For me, that makes sense as a winner. Yeah. it's It kind of harks back to... Oh, it was last year, you know, when he was, I can't remember which race it was now, when he was just off into the distance and he was like, 
uh, to his team, like, if you guys remember to hydrate, like, was it Silverstone last year? No, no, not last year. It, I mean, the year before, 2020. He asked maybe. if they'd like washed, if they'd used hand sanitizer, and if they're making sure they're drunk enough. Yeah, because literally he was nowhere near anyone else in track, and to think, okay, last year, 30 second gaps were pretty normal for Red Bull or Mercedes, but this year, all the fighting has been pretty close. So for him to be 30 seconds up the road with in the rain, with tyres everyone else was struggling on, people had to pit again just to manage, and he was just flying. It's just amazing. And I also do have two shout-outs as well. First one, Lance Stroll, because he had... Yes, ladies and gentlemen, she is feeling well. That is correct. (laughs) It is one of those wacky weekends where Lance Stroll did something good. It was a good start. It was I'm not disagreeing. That's, that's the terrible part. I can't disagree with it. It's another point where we're all agreeing. He went steaming down the inside of everyone and he went, He got up seven places up to 11th. At the start, in wet conditions, that's, I'd say, pretty great. My other one, because in all the chaos, everyone has forgotten, Latifi has got points. Hugh Hulkenberg coming back and getting like a third place finish just to piss him off. Yeah, demoting the TV back down to 21st or something. Yeah, we're a bit, yeah. It's just one of those races. I'm still puzzling by that Lance Stroll start because it looks like it's almost a dry patch of circuit where they've it been does like look dry. So he just gets onto there and it just hooks up and goes. It was, the first and furious edit where he just gets the blue flames, just goes for it. <laughs> yeah, he he's, uh, perhaps he just uses mushrooms early on in the race or something and just sort of gets he that just, little speed boost. Yeah, so let's edit like Mario Kart star music over that section because it does look like he's going in fast forward. <laughs> he literally just pressed the NOS button and just zoomed forward. But I, I think it was, was it Jensen Button saying he would have had to have pre-planned that. He must have seen that that was a dry part of the track and thought, you know what, that's a good place to go and let's go for it. Which at the same time is uncharacteristic of Stroll because he's not usually that smart. <laughs> but he is good in the rain. Think mm. Turkey 2020. Mm. He's been good waiting in two years for this opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, equally, it's one of those weird premeditated things, which we know that his teammate next year also likes, i.e. Alonso basically taking runoffs through turn one to find fast lines that he can get away with. We're all worried about Alpine and the fireworks there. Never mind the Aston Martin just coming out and just taking everyone out because like, speed! <laughs> Both Alonso and Stroll finding shortcuts through turn one to basically leapfrog the entire this, pack This is Mario Kart. If we can find the shortcuts on the track, we'll be able to use them. <laughs> I would argue that yeah, having people come along and crane you off the circuit with a little cloud is probably safer than the mechanism we have in place at the moment. Suzuka is the bit where this overlap just drops down to the other bit of the track. Like, I'm ahead now. It's fine. Yes, yeah, there is a slight gap in the fence where you can just sort of.
and he's pulled it off again. No, he did it last year because... Were we in Turkey last year? Yeah. Uh, I forgot that already. It was kind of, it wasn't quite as exciting, but we were in Turkey last year and because Red Bull had their special livery there last year. Yes, they did. He says, like, I remember that. Yeah, it replaced Japan. Mm. And Esteban Ocon did the whole race on one set of tyres, slicked immediates. And again, there's there's just that little spark about him that makes him quite an exciting driver and one to try and follow. So, yeah, for pulling off an absolute worldy of a drive, holding off seven-time world champion Lewis Hamilton in superior machinery, Timo's nodding. He's now found the Wikipedia (laughs) entry. Do you think he's, in some sense, the Carlos signs of now? Yeah, he's coming to fruition after a period of being quite underrated. Yeah. Yeah, I think as Alpine gets better, which it seems to be on a trajectory of doing and seems to be well within its sort of grounds of feasibility and attainability, if that car keeps getting better, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a few podiums from him, either at the end of this season or definitely some next year. There'll be a lot more Esteban Ocon podiums, which I'm here for. Yeah, I def- it's weird because I, ha- it's, I have a weird relationship with Esteban Ocon in the sense that when, <laughs> <Go> he-, <on. laughs> when he first Get the dog, started... tell you, me. <laughs> <laughs> when he first started F1, I was like, this guy's really good. And I was genuinely really, really sad when he left in 2018. Yes. Because I thought he really deserved a seat in F1. And then when he came back in 2020, Mm. he, I think maybe because he was against Daniel Ricciardo, he just seemed, it looked like he was a bit meh but actually on paper he was a lot closer than we all realized and now it's starting to sort of come to light that we have been sleeping on Esteban Ocon yeah which kind of you and your relationship with him maybe (laughs) I was gonna say that statement's now weird but but yeah, he especially when we've now had a chance to put him against a two-time world champion in equal machinery, and he every weekend qualifying hit and miss, but actually in the race, his ability to take it to Fernando Alonso and battle it out. Think back to Saudi Arabia last year. Think back to he was pretty good in Saudi Arabia this year as well. He was quick, and last year he was on for a podium had he not been out dragged by Bottas coming out of that last turn. That was just down to Bottas having a slightly better car. All race long, he had had Bottas behind him. So, yeah, Esteban Ocon, underrated winner in my book. And he's kind of tall, lanky, and really quite funny and good-natured. I just like him. He's just a nice person. So we'll move on to spinners, because no one else is going to announce it. Um, I was trying to think of a fun segue. uh, Timo, go with your spinner. FIA, for reasons we've already gone on, and if anyone's interested, I'll be setting up a separate hotline and help service, which is just for everyone dealing with the FIA and their absolute arsery. If you've been affected by any issues raised by the FIA, feel free to get in touch with us at the Undercut Podcast team gmail.com. But my other big spinner is the race TV directors, because what on earth were they on this weekend? I mean, honest to God. I mean, I think we have a new... Lance Stroll Monaco moment really because 
you, okay, I get that the overtake and the going off track with Charles and Checo was important and interesting, but we literally saw it. You showed us. You don't need to show us immediately afterwards. Wait 30 seconds for the other cars that we care about to finish because they were only two other battles mainly happening on track that everyone gave any any kind of shit Interesting. About. I was trying to think of, trying to think of where there wasn't shit there and I didn't. Um, and instead, we don't get to see Ocon and Lewis battling over the over to the line just to see maybe can he finally do it as he get around there because he's getting closer and closer. No. And then the bit that annoys everyone most, Alonso and Vettel, brilliant battle, six world championships between them and combined age of a pensioner and an age that Jesse is not far away from now. And just the smallest of margins going off the line and we don't see it. And you just... And again, the overtakes we saw Russell do, we saw them on replays. We didn't see them live. And you think you've got the box on the side where you show some interesting stuff going on where you want to have two things going on at the same time. Why was that not happening? We know they can split screen as well. They have the split screen functionality. They can do it on the US and the German stuff so they can have adverts during a race. They do it during IndyCar. This is the one time where we don't mind it. And you don't do it either. So it was just, what a load of pish. Well, they missed basically Alonso from the point that he pitted, making his way back up the whole entire thing. And I remember watching Alonso at the side with the timings and him getting closer and closer to everyone because like he was like 11 seconds behind Russell and I was like, oh, he's never going to make it. And then on the last lap, he had overtaken him and was catching Vettel at some speed yeah, why am I watching the timings of it? Why am I not actually watching it? it Jesse, it reminded me of the Formula 3 race in Budapest when the two drivers stuck on the, the tyres, just the slicks just before, with like seven laps to go, and they were making up like a ridiculous amount. It was, I can't remember who it was. Was it Smolia and someone else coming through the pack? No, not Smolia. I need to, you um, know, I will go and look because that's going to annoy me now. But Or, listeners, you can go and listen back to that episode and we find out. We haven't that episode yet. No, oh, we that, oh, it's in our F3 review. It's in, well, it's, in so. the, it's in the big feeder series Hungary um, um, podcast. Our F3 triple head of review will be coming out uh, literally later this week. Actually, yeah. but anyway, it, it, it was phenomenal. Ellie May, your spinner. Uh, just because I, well, Jesse, you haven't done yours yet, but I agreed like with both of you that like the main losers of this all was just the FIA and TV directors. So I thought I would actually do a team on track. McLaren. How dare you? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Go for McLaren because Norris, he what qualified 10th, moved down to about 13th, 14th at the start of the race. Like he had a really poor start. 9th to yeah. 13th because Yuki and him swapped places. Okay. Um, Ricardo, on the other hand, moved his way up to 8th. They then, after the restart, were like, you know what, we'll pit Norris early, get the undercut on everyone else. That kind of worked because it meant that he finished 10th. But that's one singular point. If they had pitted Ricardo when they pitted Norris, Ricardo could have had a big haul of points, which would have helped them in the fight against Alpine. Instead, Ricardo went from eighth down to fifteenth, ended up behind Lando, and finished eleventh. So, okay, Alpine would have overtaken them in the constructors anyway but it would have been a lesser amount because now Alpine have a 13 point lead 
and it's just what are you doing okay i know you're feeling is that the title of this episode (laughs) what are you doing (laughs) i think that's gonna be ferrari season review (laughs) yeah okay you're favoring norris i get that but at the same time i don't because it's it's a team sport at the end of the day, and you need to have both yeah. drivers in it if you're going to be Alpine. And it's no use doing the handbutt hide to hide you. I almost wish they pitted him when they pitted Vettel, thinking that they could screw him over that way. And then he ends up in fifth. Going, that didn't work out for you, did it? Look, he's bringing up yeah. the bacon now. Because Ricardo could have ended up fifth, sixth. Instead, he's got no points because his own team decided to screw him over, which is just. How I feel what's disappointing but not surprising. Yeah. That's why they <laughs> are way to summarize the 2022 season. Disappointing but not surprising. Mm. Yeah. Move on to my spinner quickly. And I don't think anyone else has made such a as mess of this weekend as the FIA and the race directors. At a push though. Has nowhere race for them. There was a lot of scope to pull something from it. Obviously, we saw Latifi breaking up points. It's likely that they could have had a Magnussen or a Schumacher up there also picking up points. And it, as fun as their long gamble on that safety car was, weirdly enough, we didn't see any further safety cars after the race restarted. Um, it, and seeing Mick briefly leading a race, which he did put on his socials, which is quite cute, um, it would have likely cost them a point or two, and especially when they're currently tied on points with Alpha Tauri there's not a lot of points around their end of the league anyway. It's going to be interesting to see who comes out on top and they could have potentially thrown one away for a slightly flat sort of a pit call there. So that's my one. They wanted that safety car that never came. Mm. And just, again, screwed over Mick. Mm. But he did lead a race for about 400 metres or so, which... Not quite 400 metres. Was the first time a Schumacher has led a race since Japan 2011. Oh. I do bring the fun facts to satisfy you all I know. That's, Thank that you later. A, that is a nice fact. Talking of facts, one little bit we wanted to talk about briefly was wet conditions, the championship, and just wet racing generally, because we seem to be, not us, the fans, but we as collectives, if we include ourselves with the FIA and F1, which is dodgy, I know, but seem to be overly excited for them and then incredibly disappointed and, in the FIA's case, scared of them. Um, what what is a wet race? Oh, yes. We don't have wet tyres for starters, so we can't even properly racing them anyway so who, who knows but it just friend of the podcast Jiggy Phillips and I were having a conversation months ago about this and thinking about I think it was around Monaco time perhaps and are F1 wet races just overhyped are they actually any good because if we look at this year for example Suzuka you could argue it was good but when you look back on it you're not going to remember it too much for the racing because you're going to be too annoyed at everything else. Monaco, for the same reasons, because you have a delay of an hour there. And then the race was all right, but again, could have been so much better if the cars were smaller because you know it's Monaco and it's all essentially done on a Saturday anyway. So there wasn't much that happened there. And if we go back 2020, Russian Grand Prix, wet race, 
interesting because of the beauty of Lando potentially winning his first race and then losing it to give Lewis his 100th Grand Prix and equally heartwarming and heartbreaking in that respect. But aside from that, what actually happened in that race, can anyone tell us? You have to think about it. Turkey, both years. somehow moved up. Yeah, it's just kind of his, his, he was just doing an office meme and just like, Jesus, how is he there? We had um, Albon Gasly, no, Albon um, and Russell fighting out at the back of the pack. We had, for Albon some reason... In, in Russia last year. In Russia last year, wasn't it? Albon. No, no, not Russ, last year. Um, the year before, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. You make a point. Which was the <laughs> your, your point still stands then in that case. The two Turkish Grand Prix, you can. I've only, I've only just remembered we even had it last year. So last year was quite flat, I'll admit. Um, yeah. 2020, yeah, memorable 2020 because. Was good. 2020, you had, was... 2020, it was all right. But again, outside of Stroll's pole position and Lewis's title victory, there is not much I can think of off the top of my head. Part I'm just going to Bottas bowling, but that was again mixed conditions, not necessarily wet um, for uh, the whole race. I'm going for full wet Grand Prix. Hit engineers driving around before the race in higher cars to try and at least lay down some rubber and clean the circuit. Actual Grand Prix racing, not things that happen near the Grand Prix. Mm. Leclerc on the last lap, throwing it away. The last corner threw it away. He threw third away, to... gave it to Vettel, I think. Yeah. Yep. Vettel's only in, podium that year. Which which race are we at here? Turkey 2020. I was still thinking Budapest. Like, I don't remember that happening anyway. I don't know what you're on. <laughs> Spa last year doesn't need anything saying to it. Um, and again, you've got the kind of crazy race of Hockenheim 2019, I want to say. Yep. Um, but again, is that a good race or are we just happy with it because the result was so different because you had so many cars crashing out. Is that what defines an interesting race? Because I would argue that the 30 minutes or so we got from Suzuka was a better race than that one because we got to see close racing in in very wet conditions. And it was it was just it, it was on, on the edge, but not over it. Everyone was worried about we're going to go out and we're going to have a terrible time. We're going to be people crashing left, right, and center. And we didn't have that on the race restart when we got there. It was still damp and you couldn't see anything, but you were able to have a good race out of it. Whereas Hockenheim was like, oh, it's a great race. But was it when you look at it? Because you took out a lot of people and obviously you promote people up there. It's a matter of survival, which again, that's why I'm so one. That's very well and good. But does that mean that it's actually? Better than a lot. Is that better than Bahrain this year? Is that better than Saudi of this year, or or isn't it? And you think about some of the genuinely good wet races in F1, but the only one I can think of off the top of my head for being generally good for complete wet is Canada twenty eleven, for obvious reasons. The thing, the race that brought in the time maximum time limit to stop it being a four hour marathon. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I agree. I think that um, I know that I look back at the past couple of years and think, yeah, we haven't. We loved wet races because it leveled out the grid, and it doesn't really do that anymore. It hasn't recently. And I was having this conversation with my dad whilst waiting two hours for Japan to restart and okay in some places like Singapore 
you can't predict the weather because the rain will just come out of nowhere. But Japan, they predicted that they were going to get heavy heavy rain at some part in the race. Why don't you look at the weather forecast and think, you know what, guys, let's move the race to an earlier time. And then at least not like an hour before and everything's manic, but if you could see the ra- the forecast the day before, give, give the fans enough warning so that they can turn up on track earlier and we'll have an earlier race. Because I would have rather have gotten up at 3 a.m. in the morning, saw a race for two hours, then got up at, get up at six o'clock and wait two hours for the race to start. Or we make the race earlier still and just simply put it at a time that isn't the rainy season in Japan. Put it earlier on in the season when we're already over on that part of the globe. I don't know, after Australia at the beginning of the year. No, 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 no. We don't Too sensible? Do that here. We don't do that here. Too sensible? Sorry. <laughs> Anyway, I think there's there's definitely argument for the fact that wet races, we have some interesting races. I liked um, Hockenheim 2019. It was a good race. It was a race of survival, but it was a race that was pushing a lot of the teams and drivers to their absolute limits. You saw how much Mercedes cracked under the pressure of it, which you don't see from modern day Mercedes. And we saw that on the podium. What constitutes for a good race, though? It's do you yeah. need all these retirements and this survival nature to do it to make it a good race? Or can you because now that we have a Japan where you have this close racing where Mercedes still, in if we're going to follow with that kind of trend, they can't get past a car, they should be able to get past. Mm. It's still interesting and you don't need to be DNFing for it to be good. I think this is something we should come back to at the end of the season as one of our off-season things and uh, and properly discuss, like sort of around a coffee table with a nice mug of coffee, what makes a good F1 race? Because there are so many different elements to it. Timo will likely want to sit down with a glass of something malty and scotchy. And to be fair, I don't blame him for that because it's one of those deep conversations that every person's going to have an individual appeal as to what makes a race good. And like you said, you don't much care for Hockenheim 2019. I quite liked it as a race. It was an interesting I, race. I, I, liked it. I just don't think it should be held up in such high, as high regard as it should. Just think, do, what do I like more Canada 2011 over Hockenheim? Hmm. That's a big call. Before we get completely sidetracked, we'll move on to Constructors Countdown, which this week I figured I might as well try and do live and then add the backing music to it afterwards. For those of you who don't know how the editing works, usually I just simply cut the tracks and splice myself doing the Constructors Countdown in after about five attempts. Timo, you look already concerned about this going ahead. Just a point for when you're editing. Turn the music down slightly so we can hear you. Okay. What if we do the tune, Timo? Please don't do that. That'll be off. I only have the cantina band. And we don't have license for that either. Um, so time for Constructors Countdown. Williams still tail the field in P10. Alpha Tarion has tie on points, but the US outfit leads the Italian one on countback. Aston Martin now tail P6's Alfa Romeo by just seven points after the latter fails to score. P4 and 5 swap yet again as double points move. Finish moves Alpine ahead of McLaren, 143 points lead 130. Mercedes sit in P3, scoring one point less than Ferrari in P2, but a dead set win that can be ratified in Austin is still held by Red Bull in P1. I think it did that in under 30 seconds. Oh, we'll clear. be counting. But I don't know, you might have been, because the idea is it's done I in did 30 the... seconds. I, I was staring at the script. I didn't even blink for I that. shot myself. 
Thanks. Anyway, we'll move on, and it's now time for the driver's countdown. Same challenge, but now with the drivers. Hulkenberg is now the only pointless driver on the grid in P22. De Vries ahead on two points in P21. Latifi sits in P20 with his newly found two points. There's no change for Albon, Joe, Sonoda, Schumacher, Stroll, Magnussen or Gasly, ranging from P19 to 13th. 12th and 11th see a swap of places for Sebastian Vettel, overtaking former teammate and fellow departing driver Danny Rick. Bottas, Alonso, Ocon, Norris, Hamilton, Sainz and Russell all retain their places from P10 through P4. Ahead, Perez now leads Leclerc by one point and confirmed as champion with an definitely untouchable lead of 113 points Max Verstappen is the 2022 world champion oh it's sort of rattled through the names so fast that's the really tricky thing anyway would, I think would you like easier names no that would be quite for a boring grid say Nick DeFries's full name I don't, what is his full name like Count Hendrik Johannes Hendrik Johannes Something, something different. The name in itself is thirty seconds long. I've got to get through twenty-two drivers. The name is bigger than him. Yeah, you could write it out on like a series of paper, and it would be longer. Anyway, before we get on to talking about the fact that AlphaTauri now have the shortest driver lineup for twenty twenty-three, that's how they're going to be quick. They've saved all their weight on driver. Um, we'll go into our predictions review and it is points galore this week where nine points have been handed out making this the highest scoring week of the season so far ahead of France and Belgium which saw eight handed out fun fact for anyone who really cares about this bit um, team and I scored uh, both a point each uh, him for his pole position and myself for Perez coming second of all the predictions to have gotten right um, our guest from last week Ellie Thompson scored three points for pole first place and her wild prediction of Ferrari having issues if by issues she means Charles Leclerc picking up a penalty and Carlos Sainz ending up in the wall due to aquaplaning so that's a, that's a pretty big issue um, but with a whopping four points for pole first second and her wild prediction of Latifi not bidding it it's Ellie May she looks so happy it does mean she has to change her Latifi thing for next race though because it happened yeah. a lot sooner than anyone thought it would <laughs> yeah this is true and he scored points through not doing it um, so the standings are as such the guest still trails on 15 points Timo is on the first step of the podium in third having accumulated a staggering 17 I'm in second with 19 points and Ellie May is romping home with the phenomenal 23 points she has a fantastic average of scoring 1.2 points every race I am the Mercedes to your Ferrari just and I'm fucking coming for you <laughs> that's weirdly romantic thank you <laughs> happy birthday <laughs> we'll move on from something just as pointless as our predictions to the fantasy f1 review and over in fantasy land it's proven to be a chaotic weekend i've sort of been hampered by uh of late some of my good drivers getting expensive and losing their double point status so i had charles leclerc and perez in different teams as like your turbo driver you can double them up because they're valued at less than 20 million but because they've had good races they've now been higher valued and thus i can no longer have them as uh my my turbo drivers so that's not gone well for me um anyway the weekend's top five runs as thus alan g in first on 231 points jim k's consult your gp in p2 alex h's team one in p3 a crucial points haul in the championship p4 belongs to my mate dan and my girlfriend georgia bags p5 with her does he have a moustache team i meanwhile came seventh with jaffa cake racing tying on points with the podcast team and james baldwin's rememory all on 151 points my brt yamaha team 
Lane comes home 10th, while Timo's on the curbs comes a lowly 15th place. Despite having Leclerc, Alonso and Vettel, it's rigged Italy. Hang on, you've written that in there. The net result of all of this is that I'm no longer leading the standings. I'm down in P2 and P3. Alex H's team one leads me by 23 points. So the fight for the title goes on. That's ironic. I don't know what I have to do. Yeah, it's ironic that it's 23 points. And honestly, Timo, I don't know what you have to do. Perhaps just do better. Vettel, that was a gamble and a half. And he gets sixth place and I get bugger all for it. What is a man to do? Well, who else did you have do in better. there? I had, I had Norris on double points, which I admit was not as helpful as it could have been. Alonso, right. Leclerc, and... Christ, who was the other one? Vettel and then a constructor. I had Mercedes as the constructor, but I had a fifth driver because there's only four I've named there. But yeah. I know that the oh, fifth no, driver finished as Yuki. I had Yuki. Uh, outside the points... Wasn't mm. my team yeah, but still, really. three in the top ten plus a constructor. You would have thought they'd get you a bit more. I'm not expecting to win this thing. God knows that. But, you know, get me above it's... 15th place just for a race or two. Perhaps give it them is just break mm. against you. Perhaps it is it's just like, I think Ellie May's in charge of it. That's what's going on here. <laughs> wow. If it was, <laughs> I am putting Does He Have a Moustache at the top. I think, I'm sure Georgia would be very thankful to hear that. It's a great name. It's a team comprised makes, of drivers that have facial hair, basically. It makes me think of Nigel Mansell, and that makes me happy. Oh, well, there you go. If you want to make Ellie Mae happy, just talk to her about Nigel Mansell. It's a perfect point to wrap up this week's podcast, Don, which has come to you as a two-parter. If you haven't listened to the first part yet, it is essentially uh, what the hell has happened and probably spans for about three times the length of this half of the podcast where we talk and the Grand Prix and the Grand Prix if anything I think we talked about it for longer than we saw actual cars racing over the weekend um, we did aim for that we did aim for that albeit as a joke um, but there we go what is this podcast if anything but an oversized joke um, we are you, a joke if you have any questions for us we are looking to do a Q&A episode after the season so if you if you want to get in touch with us via the comments feel free to do so we try and respond to sort of immediate comments there and then um, equally get in touch with us on the socials or by email if it's something really long the email address is the one I read out earlier actually it's the undercut podcast team at gmail.com uh, nice and easy it'll also be in the description for the video wherever you're listening to this so speaking of things that will be in the description Timo where can the people find you you can find me over on Is It Fast where I've got a lovely interview out with Kevin Hansen later this week which should be out by the time you listen to this podcast I also got a brand new episode of On The Curves coming your way with an ELMS driver and I'm also over on the Nitro RX podcast and is and Paddock Sorority, that's the last one. I have to remember everything I do there because I do way too much for far too little because I just love motorsport too darn much. Did you mention Is It Fast? Yeah, that was the way the interview with Kevin Hansen's coming out. Just just checking. Didn't want you to didn't want you to skip anything off your very busy schedule. Cheers, bro. That's right. Gotta to, gotta to back my boys here. Uh, Ellie May, where can the people find you? You can find me on our Instagram page, where I write my key takeaways, and I run our TikTok account. And I've been doing neither of those. So... But it's still in the script, so it's okay. It's still in the script, so it counts. 
maybe I'll get you something for the TikTok account from this episode. Um, we'll wait and see. Maybe, maybe the bit at the very beginning of the part one where I mentioned about thinking, no, I won't do that. Um, if you want to find more of me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as at Jesse on Cars. And if you like print media, you can find me in Classic Car Weekly. I'm trying to think what I've got coming out in this one this week. Um, uh, no, big uh, lead news story this week. If you want to find out what the Labour government is potentially uh, planning for your classic car, bad news, Mate, it's not I good. I to tell you, we don't have a Labour government. No, but if there is a general election... The podcast's you... been long, but it's not been that long. I haven't checked BBC News. But if you want to find out what the Labour government could be projecting for your classic car, that's uh, this week's lead news story. So Does it come in red? No, it... it comes in a little box when it gets scrapped and crushed. That's the plan. Labour government wants to scrap your classic cars. Spoilers. Um, yeah, anyway, so if you want to you want to find out all things classic car, go pick up Classic Car Weekly with me in it. Thank you very much for listening to, hopefully, both parts of our review of the Japanese Grand Prix. According to my phone, we've been recording for two hours and 14 minutes at this point. So... It is appreciated that you've gotten to at least this point. If you haven't, shame on you. And we'll see you in our preview for the American Grand Prix in about a week's time. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.